This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show, and this is our show that features two mayors on this Mayor's Monday. We have the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia, and the mayor of East Hampton, Nicole LaChapelle. Madam Mayor, Mr. Mayor, thank you both for being with us so much on this Mayor's Monday. I was thinking over the weekend when I was preparing for this show uh, how much we look to our local leaders for something that we crave, which is, I mean, leaders, our local elected officials, for leadership. And I thought that it would be helpful, perhaps, to talk to both of you about issues that are statewide that we're going to vote on or and or have begun to vote on, uh, if you have a mail-in ballot, uh, that are going to affect all of us. So as leaders of your communities, I would appreciate your thoughts on the ballot questions, in particular two ballot questions, uh, although the, the other two that are less have less publicity also may well uh, be important in your communities. But first and foremost, let's start with question four. This is the question on whether persons who do not have immigration documents will be allowed to apply for and achieve driver's licenses here in Massachusetts. Seventeen other states have a law very similar to this. And the question for question four, we should point out, this is the Work and Family Mobility Act, which is on the ballot. It passed the legislature overwhelmingly uh, in 2022 to take effect in 2023. But a group of opponents got together and put it on the ballot. A yes vote means that the Work and Family Mobility Act will be retained. A no act, a no vote is actually to repeal the law, saying no, it shouldn't be retained. It seems to me it's crucially important, uh, both as a matter of fairness and human rights, and also as a matter of public safety. Uh, police chiefs overwhelmingly support this uh, proposal, uh, as do uh, the sheriffs and the district attorneys, because it's a matter of public safety. We want people to be insured. We want people to be licensed. We want people to be trained. We want them to be qualified to drive. It's a marriage of common sense uh, and human rights, uh, as well as public safety. Uh, that said, and with that introduction, I make no bones about where I, I stand on this issue. I'd like to start with you, uh, Mayor LaChapelle. Question four, uh, people ask you, how do you think we should vote? What do you tell them? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so I think you just captured it, Bill, with the marriage of common sense. I'm completely in support of this um, you know, and and to have it taken away smacks of, of something much darker um, or the darker side of democracy. But the more people who have license, who are trained to drive, who are insured, uh, the better we all are. And completely agree. It's a human right. It's a dignity. Um, and it, it helps riot, it, it helps lift everyone. Let me go to you, Mayor Joshua Garcia. Yeah. Hey, good care, morning. Good morning. Care to share Mayor, your thoughts, you, please? You, you, you took the words, I believe, right out of our mouths. Those are the key reasons why question uh, this particular question uh, needs to be passed. Uh, and I think that um, the fact that the legislatures overwhelmingly supported it shows a lot about the collaboration that we have in our Commonwealth when it comes to uh, these types of issues, safety in our community, uh, equity, um, and so forth. So I'm in full support. Um, for the very reasons, Bill, you've just described, 
um, and uh, happy to, um, you know, get my people here in the city of Holyoke to stand behind it. To you both, let me start with you, uh, Mayor Nicole Ashapel. Has there been much discussion about this ballot question? Is there much of a buzz about it in your community? Yes. Um, you know, people are are talking about this in fair share a lot. Um, I'm hearing, you know, overwhelming support uh, for it. And again, makes a lot of sense to, to people. Um, there are, you know, a, a vocal but small minority um, that are bringing up other issues that I don't see related to the ballot question. Um, but in the most part, East Hampton stands behind um, the legislature's action. And Joshua Garcia, to you, is this a yeah, matter not, that's getting getting attention in your city? Not as much as I think it it should. Um, you know, there's a lot of people here in the city of Holyoke that are, you know, focused on their their well being, their growth, um, their housing situation, um, uh, how they're going to put food on the table and, and and navigate other quality of life challenges. Um, it's, it's been quiet here in the city of Holyoke this election season, not just in these particular questions, but, um, uh, you know, the candidate race, uh, more or less. I think uh, the climate between the city of Holyoke and, and East Hampton on that front is probably vastly different when it comes to active participation. Is part of the problem in terms of what you anticipate, well, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, is that say that you fear a low turner voter turnout in Holyoke this election cycle? I do. I do fear a low voter turnout. And obviously, you know, myself and, and colleagues, we're going to do what we can to push and mobilize as we do every election season. We have a, a community here that, um, you know, the neighborhoods are separated by by income. And it just so happens that those neighborhoods that are lowest in income are um, heavily minority uh, groups that are not as actively engaged in the political process. And that's been a problem for decades here that we're trying to overcome. Uh, uh, but, you know, every year it gets better. Um, as far as the statewide race is concerned, you know, again, you have people like myself and other prominent leaders that are going to do what we can to mobilize and be sure that we're getting folks to understand what's at stake um, that's going to help our neighbors um, and and help the Commonwealth. So, yeah, that's that's such a uh, to me upsetting fact that uh, is, we have municipalities where there are from time to time tiny voter turnouts. And question four really affects the community in absolutely dramatic ways. And if should it be repealed, as Mayor Nicole Chappelle just said, I think it is just strikes at the heart of. Uh, what we what we care deeply about in terms of our humanity and the common wealth that we live in, uh, Mayor Nicole Ashapelle from East Hampton, you you mentioned question one, uh, another matter, another ballot question that has been receiving a lot of uh, publicity. Could you tell us uh, about question one for our listeners who don't remember? Question one is the fair share amendment that would in, uh, in, put on income, income over a million dollars a year of 4% tax. So your thoughts on this, Mayor LaChapelle? I think it's a, a you know, given, um, you know, the, when I took corporate law in, at Western New England School Law, uh, one of my tax professors described 
uh, the tax code on the state and the federal level as a as a picket fence. So if you hit the picket, well, that was you know a definitive end. Um, but there was a lot of room to go in between. And I think the fair share amendment addresses that um, and realize that there might be adjustment by the legislature. Um, the, the important, I would say, equally to it passing and going to in, in effect as, as written and around the campaign literature in favor of it is also the strong signal um, to each other in the Commonwealth, as well as um, others in other states, that uh, fair share isn't just just or somebody you know is pointing out that they're you know whining about it. Uh, it's actually a way that we can undo and and build forward for more people in our communities. Um, and not about you know there's one thing about equity and equality or whatnot, but economic fair share is a huge part of that in wealth generation. So I'm overwhelmingly in support of this. Uh, one, as the functionality is written um, in Galvin's book, as well as the strong message it sends to um, other communities and states. The fair share amendment, question one will raise approximately $2 billion a year mm. from people who are earning over a million dollars a year. And don't worry. Don't worry if you're worried about a tax increase because your first million dollars of adjusted gross income will not increase. Your tax will not increase one penny. But you get up to that $2 million, $2 million of adjusted gross income and in a year, then you're going to have to pay 4% on that second million. Seems to me a pretty fair deal. Which given- is what? I think 40000 40000 off of an extra million? I'll take it. Really? Fair deal to me. Mayor Garcia, your thoughts on this ballot question, question one. This is a, a, a no-brainer, and I know this been, has been in the forefront of discussions for a long time, not just here in the Commonwealth, but everywhere. And, and it, it just seems like so much common sense um and it's definitely going to untangle a lot a lot of knots um there's there's not more to to say here it's 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 a no-brainer it it also seems to me that it's a matter of tax fairness tax fairness if you are making millions of dollars per year living in massachusetts it is probable that your uh, what you have gained in terms of a workforce that makes your products, uh, and in terms of an educated workforce that supports your company, in terms of the life you've been able to live because of this beautiful and, uh, for many people, uh, uh, wealthy, relatively wealthy communities in which people live. Obviously, there are exceptions to that. All of that is because Massachusetts has these enormous resources. To say that you have to pay an extra $40,000 on your $2 million of income just doesn't seem unfair. Just doesn't seem unfair. And this, and this money is uh, dedicated by, through this constitutional amendment to transportation and education. I'm, I'm wondering if you have thoughts about that focus of question one, Mayor Garcia. Uh, the money will have to be used on education and transportation. Your thoughts about that aspect of the bill, of the constitutional amendment? Yeah, I, I mean, um, $2 billion, obviously a strong focus on, on education. Education is the n- number one anti-poverty program available to everybody. 
uh, and transportation, uh, no question. And I'm sure there's enough room there to, to talk about other issues. We have a housing crisis happening from what I hear throughout the Commonwealth, but I can tell you, particularly up and down the Pioneer Valley, um, uh, we have a lot of catching up to do. Uh, for people that live here now, never mind people that are migrating uh, this way from other parts of the country. The other important piece, Bill, as far as the fair share amendment is that we have to do a better job educating the public on what this is about. I do hear a lot about this one uh, in the community and, and, and different tables um, and folks are divided. And I think there's a lot of misguided information out there that are not allowing people to fully understand what, what, what this means. And, and so, you know, the better we can describe this, um, I think the better position will be to get these things passed. Yeah, I hear these rumors. Your taxes are going to increase. Just wait for this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's true. <laughs> for your next million dollars, your first million next year or this year, don't worry, not a penny more. I love to see the roads fixed too. We need a. Yeah, we, we need more money in the uh, chapter ninety. Mayor Nicole Ashapel from East Hampton, your thoughts on this? Well, I actually have a question for you, Bill. Okay. Um, on this. So with the constitutional amendment, my, my, my question is, if it were to pass, can the focus of the money be redetermined by the legislature? No. And the reason it can't be uh, redetermined or set out for other purposes is because this is uh -huh. a constitutional amendment. There is no higher guarantee in our legal system <clears throat> than a constitutional amendment, part of our Constitution. It's not a law that can be repealed. It's part of the Constitution. And I think that we can fairly say that the legislature, for whatever machinations it might go through from year to year, is not going to overtly violate the Constitution of the Commonwealth <laughs> when everyone is watching. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to continue our conversation with East Hampton Mayor Nicole Chappelle and Holyoke's Mayor Joshua Garcia right after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. If I had a million dollars, I'd build a tree fort in a yard. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Voting as well as early voting is the way to go. It shows that we trust the voters. They know why they need an early ballot. They know why they need an absentee ballot. It's not up to government to decide if it's a legitimate reason or not. The voters should get to choose. So this, I think, is a huge advance. 1015-1400-1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. 20 years ago, we envisioned creating a brighter future for people and planet. Now, PV Squared celebrates a big milestone. Two decades of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar projects for homes and businesses in our community. PV Squared is a worker-owned co-op. When you partner with us, you get a team dedicated to the success of your project, from your first meeting to servicing your system down the road. Build solar right and do business better. It's the co-op difference. Learn more at pvsquared.coop. A food co-op is a different kind of grocery store. A credit union is a different kind of bank. 
Co-ops and credit unions are owned by the people who shop and bank there. Keep it close to home with local co-ops, credit unions, and worker-owned co-ops. UMass Five College Credit Union are people just like you coming together for a common purpose. UMass Five members pool their deposits, then loan those deposits to other members. Bank the cooperative way? Join UMass Five. Go to umass5.coop. If I remember correctly, there's something like 30 different grapes in this wine. That's an awesome thing about Portuguese. There's like two grapes people have ever heard of, and the rest of it is just catch as catch can, and it's usually pretty good and very cheap. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. These are Portuguese field blends from Casa Freitas. It is the Sand Creek Red Blend. But I love this wine. It's $9.99 dark, it's rich. It's red. Uh, given the fact that there are 30 grapes playing against each other in here, there's a lot going on yeah. for $9.90. My kids, every time I make them smell wine, say, it smells like wine. All wine smells the oh, same. Yeah, and daughter. I'm like, you're yeah. wrong. But when I smelled this, the first thing I thought of was, it smells like wine. <laughs> but then very quickly moved on to chocolate and blueberry and yeah. As soon as I swirled the glass, boom. Yeah. Like chocolate cake. Blueberry and chocolate cake. That's what, those are like the that. two things I'm getting, blueberry and chocolate. Iron and blood. Yes. Yeah. Vampire wine. Fine your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com, and add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP, Your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. One, two, three, four. Can I have a little more? Five. Oh, I just like, I know, Monty. You we want can't to listen talk. to the Beatles all the time. That's what I want to listen to the Beatles all the from time. From Mayor Nicole LaChapelle. We can, we can outro with the hook that everybody's looking for there. But. <laughs> this is Mayor's Monday, and we have two mayors with us this Monday, East Hampton Mayor Nicole LaChapelle and Holyoke's Mayor Joshua Garcia. Both cities have been grappling with police reform. Uh and I would appreciate an update from both of you on that. Let's start with you, uh, Nicole Chappelle from East Hampton. Uh, there was a major study done, a major report uh, produced. Uh, various uh, programs have been implemented, I think, on a trial basis or on a uh, contractor grant basis. Where does police reform stand in East Hampton? So we're um, the co-mentoring uh, grant, I, I'm assuming they're um, – referring to is with um, clinical support options where a licensed um, social worker trauma-informed rides along with uh, police in our city to calls that could or clearly have a mental health component as well as follow-up to a call uh, that might have that component uh, to make sure that there are services in place or how we can hook uh, that person or family up with more services. And that's going very well. Um, we would love to increase the number of hours we have. We have about 24 or so right now per week. Um, the other exciting thing is around permanency. Uh, we have brought on our community uh, social worker 
as well as a public health nurse. And they have been working with all of our departments and the community a little bit to determine need, um, but more addressing need. You know, I think the, the urgency of where we were in, you know, uh, March of 2020 um, has certainly faded, but leaving gapping holes in there. Um, they're being filled. And then the last thing I'm, I'm thrilled is I, I think technology-wise, um, we are at a place to start installing the new police incident command um, system, which uh, I will say I put in that report, it seems so long ago, and then found out we had no central IT structure to, to support it. So that's built out, and we're starting to roll out uh, training as well as the program itself. And that's that's really exciting because it's it's going to be the data that our my city was looking for, you know, in in June third um, in the murder of George Floyd and and before about you know what police services do we get and um, and how it works and how we can make it better. Do you have any data yet on how this program is working compared? You know, you said it's basically a co-response model, a little different than how Amherst yeah. is doing it and how. Northampton may do it, it's, uh, but do you have any data yet on how it's working, whether it's working, whether it is effective as a program? Not hard data. I mean, anecdotally, um, we're, you know, I, I must get one or two letters every week and and also talking to the officers and the clinicians themselves, but I am eager to see that, that data and um, I'm assuming I know uh, clinical support options is pulling that together. So, um, yeah, it'll be very, very interesting. Anecdotally, it it looks and feels good. Let me turn to the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. Where are police reform efforts today in Holyoke? I, I would like to follow up in particular with regard to the police department audit. Mm-hmm. Bring, bring us up to date, Mr. Sorry. Mayor. Yeah, so earlier this month, um, we kicked off that process with the consultant who's doing the the audit and the company is working with our uh, community police relations advisory team uh, through that process. Um, uh, And so we're hoping that in that process, we'll get to learn what is it we do well, where are the gaps, where do we need to pivot to be better so that we're making sure that we're offering the best possible services to our community as far as uh, policing is concerned. Uh, as far as the community response model, the city of Holyoke has already adopted that strategy the last couple of years uh, through various create, creative initiatives. Uh, one, there's the Holyoke Hub model off the Chelsea model, which is mainly a strategic and focused community response collaborative involving several organizations and health and human service professionals working towards creating better outcomes for our city's at-risk population. We also maintain a community service center, which is right down on Ray Street, that offers aid to people struggling with such issues as opioid addiction, homelessness, elderly abuse, other public safety challenges. Uh, The city partners with Behavioral Health Network that operates out of that office in partnership with our local police department and other organizations. Uh, The center also interacts uh, with the Holyoke Cup. They work collaboratively and they have a by name list that they um, compare and contrast and making sure that they're um, keeping up with the challenges. At City Hall, I'm, I'm looking forward to budget to create a housing navigator, a homeless liaison position to supplement the community response work we are, we are already involved in. And 
I'm proud to partner with organizations like Hope for Holyoke and Roca and Odyssey House, uh, organizations like Viability, uh, and so much more that are boots on the ground intervention programs that are doing work every single day, looking out for the interests of our community. And in addition to this, the city's invested in mental health services through the YMCA and the Roca program, River Valley Counseling, Girls Inc. Uh, the city's been providing so much opportunity, Valley Opportunity Council and Alianza is doing incredible work in our community. We also directed home art funds specifically for homeless intervention. Um, and cities working with CHD to open up 40 units of low threshold housing for people who are unsheltered and chronically homeless, which is probably gonna be opening up sometime in, in November. Um, so there's a number of things, you know, it's, 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 it's a wide range of services that I didn't necessarily start. These are programs and services that have been here since I was a kid and learning and evolving and growing and becoming much more collaborative than ever before. Uh, the, the newest part that's been implemented the last three years, I would say, is a community police um, response uh, service that we have out down on Ray Street, which is uh, a unique model similar to what our partner communities are um, looking for to implement. Um, and is this a co-response model um, where there are uh, persons, therapists, social workers, yeah. psychologists, like who are with the police or they respond instead of the police? How, do, how does it work in Holyoke? Yep. So the, the community response team, which is separate from the hub, but the hub and, and, the, and the community response team, you know, they work together. They're working hand in hand, sharing information and resources and, and making sure that, but the, to, uh, the team that we have down on Ray Street is a combination of recovery coaches, behavioral health clinicians, and uh, plainclothes police officers. And, and in terms, in terms of going out when you get a call, a, a police or yep. dispatch get a call, do you, is it a police officer plus yep. the, the person from one of the uh, uh, helping professions, or is it uh, uh, there? Or is it, there is a non non police response possible as well? Yep, on the nature of the call. So let's say someone's calling because there's a panhandler or someone's sleeping in the alleyway or, you know, whatever the case. Uh, instead of sending a, a, um, a patrol officer, they're sending the community response team over to check up on that person, right? Like the wellness checks. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. We have been speaking with the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia, and the mayor of East Hampton, Nicola Chappelle. So sorry we have to go, but we do. But thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being with us. Come back soon. We really, really appreciate your taking the time, effort, and interest in speaking with the community on this program. Mayor Garcia, Mayor LaChapelle, thank you both so very much. Thank you. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Black, white, green, red. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Northampton School Committee can't seem to agree on COVID-19 safety protocols. Josh Silver says a small but vocal group of volunteers are pushing for more strict safety protocols than the state or federal guidelines. But the topic is distracting from other important issues. The real shame in it is that our school committee needs to be dealing with so many important issues that relate to education and instead have literally been subsumed by this topic for well over a year. Silver is a political consultant and member of the mayor's ad hoc committee on COVID. Great River Hydro, which operates 13 hydropower dams along the Connecticut and Deerfield rivers, 
is selling to another Canadian government-owned company called Hydro-Quebec. The $2 billion sale includes the dams in Turner's Falls and Buckland, but will not change the operating schedule, whitewater release times, or conditions of the relicensing agreement in any way. Company representatives told the Greenfield Recorder that none of the 100 employees will be laid off during the transition. Between the dams in Montague, Shelburne, Conway, Monroe, Rowe, and elsewhere, the company provides enough power for about 213,000 homes annually. Pioneer Valley Co-Housing in North Amherst is changing its name out of respect for Indigenous people. Members of the property agreed to rename themselves Cherry Hill Co-Housing, which has already been used on many official documents. Resident Audrey Child tells the Gazette that discussions have been ongoing for about a year about connotations of the use of the term pioneer about who the land belongs to. For today, mostly cloudy with chance for showers, highs 56 to 60. Tonight, cloudy with showers, overnight lows 42 to 46. And then for Tuesday, chance for showers in the morning, then sunshine in the afternoon, highs in the low to mid-50s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Hace dos años, el candidato Joe Biden denunció en voz alta al presidente Donald Trump por las políticas de inmigración que infligieron crueldad y exclusión en todo momento, incluso hacia quienes huían del gobierno brutal del socialista Nicolás Maduro en Venezuela. Ahora, con un número cada vez mayor de venezolanos llegando a la frontera entre Estados Unidos y México, a medida que se acercan las elecciones del 8 de noviembre, Biden ha recurrido a una fuente poco probable para encontrar una solución, el libro de jugadas de su predecesor. Biden invocó la semana pasada un una regla de la era Trump conocida como Título 42 que el propio Departamento de Justicia de Biden está combatiendo en los tribunales para negar a los venezolanos que huyen de su país devastado por la crisis la oportunidad de solicitar asilo en la frontera. La regla, invocada por primera vez por Trump en 2020, utiliza la Autoridad de Salud Pública de Emergencia para permitir que Estados Unidos evite que los migrantes busquen asilo en la frontera, con base en la necesidad de ayudar a prevenir la propagación de COVID-19. Según la nueva política de la Administración, Biden, los venezolanos que crucen caminando o nadando la frontera sur de Estados Unidos serán expulsados y cualquier venezolano que ingrese ilegalmente a México o Panamá no será elegible para venir a Estados Unidos. Pero hasta 24 mil venezolanos serán aceptados en los aeropuertos de Estados Unidos de manera similar a como se ha admitido a los ucranianos desde la invasión de Rusia en febrero. La política de Biden marca un giro abrupto para la Casa Blanca que hace apenas unas semanas criticaba duramente al gobernador de Florida, Ron DeSantis y al gobernador de Texas, Greg Abbott, ambos republicanos, por llevar a los inmigrantes venezolanos que huyen de la persecución política en autobuses y aviones a bastiones demócratas. La nueva política de Biden ha generado rápidas críticas de los defensores de los inmigrantes, muchos de los cuales se apresuraron a señalar los paralelos de Trump. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We are honored to have with us today on the show Sonia Manzano, who, of course, is best known uh, as Maria on Sesame Street, a role that she created and played for decades. She is also a groundbreaking educator and an executive television producer. She has a new children's show on PBS. She is an award-winning children's book author. She's a 15-time Emmy Award-winning uh, award winner. Uh, 
She has been the recipient of the Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award for creating that role of Maria. She is the winner of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Award, and she has a memoir written that she wrote, Becoming Maria, uh, and a new novel, too, Coming Up Cuban. Uh, We could go on with the awards and uh, accolades and uh, accomplishments, but we only have, you know, 25 minutes, so we're going to move on. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us. I'm really, really pleased that you are with us today and coming to Northampton for one show this Saturday at 7.30 at the Academy of Music. Could you tell us about the show, Selected Shorts, please? Sure thing. It's a pleasure for me to uh, to to chat with you. And as you said, I am going to be there with other actors. Uh, Mike Doyle, you might know him from uh, Law and Order SVU, and Becca Blackwell, another actor. And we're going to be reading stories for the wonderful people of Northampton, uh, part of uh, Symphony Space's Selected Shorts program. Um, the title of the evening is Love and Laughter, something that we certainly need these days. How did the show come about? Oh, well, if you know, uh, 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 Selected uh, Symphony Space is known for doing Selected Shorts, which is simply uh, actors reading wonderful stories to the public, and we do it here on 94th Street and Broadway most of the time. But on occasion, we venture out into other communities and do live shows, and this is uh, this is one of them. Uh, Symphony Space has been doing selected shorts for for a very long time, more than ten years. I really have no idea how long they've been doing them, but quite a long time. The the, the show here, the actors here, are they coming up from the city? Uh, yes, the actors are are coming up from the city, and it's. Uh, uh, such a, a, a wonderful experience because it's storytelling. I think that storytelling is kind of the uh, the impulse for all for all creative endeavors. You know, like a piece of a piece of music is telling a story, a dance telling a story, art is telling a story. So, so storytelling is kind of uh, uh, the very beginning of a creative endeavors, and this. Selected Shorts does storytelling in its purest form. And it's, it's, I remember Isaiah Sheffer, who is a founder of Symphony Space, would always tell the actors, don't memorize the story and don't act out the story. And I'm thinking, well, what are we going to do with the story? He says, just tell the story. And after several appearances, I realized that when you tell a story as opposed to being a part portraying a part in a play, you're more one-on-one with the audience. You're in on it together. You're sort of saying, okay, I'm going to tell you this story, and, and we're both going to experience it at the same time, as opposed to seeing a character reveal himself in, you know, All My Children or something like that. And so it's, uh, it's that little bit of difference that uh, uh, Selected Shorts does in, in connecting with an audience. In its this form of telling a story, what you're s- saying, Sonia Manzano, it reminds me of uh, children's books in a way, not not the book, but the experience of being one with the reader and sharing this experience 
only this is for adults. I don't know if that's a fair analogy, but I thought I'd ask you. Yes, you're absolutely right. It is absolutely the perfect analogy. And uh, and then you have real actors who are professionals and, and know how to convey feeling and emotion. But with that that attitude of really telling a story, it's, it's, you know, it's the same thing of huddling around and telling somebody a joke. Gee, you know what happened? And then this happened, and this happened. And can you believe it? Then this happened. And uh, and it's and it's a terrific way of uh, of hoping, obviously, to connect with the audience, and uh, and and we certainly do. Is there a theme? Uh, is there? I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt. But is there a theme to the uh, uh, stories that will be shared with us Saturday evening again, seven thirty, the Academy of Music selected shorts of Sonia Manzano and her uh, accomplished actors who will be with her. Um, is there a theme? A, a central kind of connecting. Uh, point or not? Yes, of course, there always is. And the theme of uh, our evening on Saturday will be love and laughter, something that is much needed these days. And that's, <laughs> that's the thread. Well, that's that's really, really, really inspiring at this particular yeah. time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, Sonia Manzano, I, I'd like to ask you a question that, uh, I don't know, maybe, you, maybe you're so tired of it, but I... I I'm sorry if this if this is just a repetition of something you've heard about a ten thousand times. Uh, Maria was this amazing role, and I'm wondering whether or not for you, as someone who has this wide, wide uh, range of uh, accomplishments in acting uh, ability and roles and the like, I'm wondering whether this identification with Maria is something that you cherish or something that you say to yourself, "It's enough already." <laughs> no, I think it's something that's it changed my life. It's very important to me uh, having the opportunity to uh, be Maria on Sesame Street was uh, uh, w- was fabulous. Be- for personally, I was raised in the Bronx in the fifties and watched a lot of television. I always really loved television. I, I never saw anybody. You've heard this a lot. Uh, uh, of actors and uh, of color, not seeing themselves represented on television. But uh, I think more profoundly, you wondered what you were going to contribute to a society that seemed blind to you. You know, you didn't know what to say when people said, what are you going to be when you grow up? Because you never saw anybody doing anything like you when they grew up. And so, though that took its toll, I'm sure, I still always love television. I love Father Knows Best and Leave It to Beaver and Gunsmoke and those, <laughs> those, those, those shows that you see. Yes, that you see on TV land. Oh, I was just obsessed. I wanted to be Kitty in Gunsmoke. <laughs> I, I, I did. Yes, I, I, I did. I did love the, the, the storytelling part of television and 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 it was exciting and 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 uh, you know it raised a lot of questions. I did always wonder what what happened to those Indian people that the gunsmoke were always, you know, yeah, they were really. always in the background. Like you'd wonder, are they going to come to the Bronx? Where are they today? So television, I I always thought it was a, an enticing thing. 
So uh, when uh, they asked me to be on Sesame Street, I was, oh, this is fabulous. It was out of the 60s. I was coming of age. It was, you know, uh, mind expansion and the civil rights movement. And, and but of course, I said, well, okay, well, what's the part? And they said, well, we just want you to be yourself because we want kids in the inner cities, which was what underserved, where underserved children lived was called at that time. We want those kids to relate to you. And I said, oh, I don't know exactly what to do that. And they just said, be yourself, be yourself. Well, I'm really nervous. I don't know how to do that. Until I did know how to do it, finally, um, I, was, uh, I, was, I, I was made up. Uh, with a lot of makeup one day, and John Stone, the producer, came in and he yelled at the makeup artist, and he said, I go through all the trouble of hiring a real person, and you make her up to look like a Cupid doll. (laughs) I'm only 22, and I've been going, oh, my God, I'm in the middle of this drama. (laughs) Yes, well, as the makeup woman took off my makeup, I, uh, I said, oh, they're not kidding. They really want me. To, to, to just be myself. And that's harder than playing an, a part. I mean, that's being yourself on purpose. Kind of have a, you have a naked feeling. And I had to find my way, but I thought that's exactly it. I am being my own. I am being what I needed to see on TV when I was a kid. For other kids. So it's not, it's not a part. Maria's not really a part. I am just, it was just a better version of me. Well, what's remarkable, and we're speaking with Sonia Manzano, who will be at the Academy of Music on Saturday, is this is Monty now speaking. And I grew up in the lily white suburbs of Boston in the 1980s. And getting to know you through Sesame Street, getting to know Gordon through Sesame Street, I honestly, you know, believed you to be my friend. I had a huge crush on you, full disclosure. <laughs> um, but No, no, that's my question. Just at least <laughs> stay off my question. But, I mean, I was not exposed to any people of color where I lived in the red line suburbs of Boston. So my friends of color were, were you, were Gordon, were the people on Sesame Street, were the people Mr. Rogers introduced me to in his neighborhood. And that has a huge effect I think with representation for people that you don't particularly represent in your own ethnicity, do you get a lot of feedback from people like me as you know, in regards to what you meant to them in opening their eyes to the beautiful colors of the rainbow that exist in this nation? Oh, oh, absolutely. And that of course is most gratifying to me. I have been in the middle of lily white states and i'll talking to kids and i'll say where is sesame street and they'll say oh it's right around the corner here you know they have they own it they have um they are they they've connected with with the people of sesame street and i think that that's because uh we were uh, we were very sincere and i think sincerity goes a long way and i think that's why you like me and 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 uh, and Gordon and Susan and and uh, and all and all of the the uh, the other cast members. I think we were really sincere. We really had affection for each other, and we were real people. That was very important uh, to the mission at that time. That kids see real people. That they see that we are just as real as they are. That. I think that's a place we want to reflect on for a moment. So we'll take a break. And when we come back, I want to ask about another aspect of Sesame Street, which is the love not only between the actors, but between you and the Muppets. <laughs> we'll be right back. Cause what I mean, hello. <laughs> 
This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Skates cutting the ice and sticks pounding boards. The slap of the puck and a ping off the post. The chirp of the whistle and the blaring of the horn. Hockey is here. Tune in for all the sounds of the season right here on the UMass Sports Network. 101.5. 1400 and 1240 WHMP. Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. Have we got some exciting news for you. And I'm Mortgage Originator Kimberly Gates. We're extending our offer to save up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. There's still time to get a $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Check out our new website and start your application now at bestlocalbank.com or come see us in person. As local lenders, we're here for you every step of the way. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Missy Tatro. Or me, Kimberly Gates, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by November 30th, be a new first mortgage customer, or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. It happens all over Massachusetts. In every home and every community. Be careful in your bike. Learning can happen anytime, anywhere. And no matter how learning takes place in your family's life, Desi is there as your partner. The Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Never stop learning. Find out more at mass.gov slash back to school. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department for Elementary and Secondary Education. A food co-op is a different kind of grocery store. A credit union is a different kind of bank. Co-ops and credit unions are owned by the people who shop and bank there. Keep it close to home with local co-ops, credit unions, and worker-owned co-ops. Stop at the Old Creamery Co-op on Route 9. For hot mulled cider, a press grilled sandwich on house-made focaccia, something sweet from our bakery, or what you need to make dinner. Stop at the shop with the cow on top. The Old Creamery Co-op. Do you know what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass. This is Bill Newman, WHM. We continue our conversation with Sonia Moon. Zadon, who will be here in Northampton performing and directing, too, I should note, at the Academy of Music this Saturday evening at 7.30. One show only, so you've got to get your tickets and go see this show. The show is Selected Shorts, and we are so looking forward to having you here in Northampton. You, of course, famous for being Maria and creating the role of Maria on Sesame Street. You have another children's show on PBS now. Tell us about that. Yes, it's called Alma's Way, and PBS asked me to create a show with a Latinx family, and, I, of course, I 
I uh, was very happy to accommodate them. And so the show is based in the Bronx, where I was raised. And Alma's Way is about thinking. Uh, it's based on a lot of my own experiences. And I noticed that a lot of kids, or we really expect a lot of preschoolers these days, they have to walk, be on kindergarten on the Internet. They have to test. They have to memorize. And a lot of kids who can't do that were thinking that they weren't smart, that they were stupid. So the show has, uh, the little girl has a, solves a problem and we, we show her thought process. I'm hoping that kids understand that they all have a brain and a mind, no matter what their situation is. And that's what Alma's Way is about on PBS Kids. Uh, very personal to me. Any relationship in terms of themes or uh, overarching kinds of production values between your new show uh, and Sesame Street? Well, I took everything I learned from Sesame Street and put it in this new show. And the most important thing is you got to make them laugh uh, in order to get their attention. And as I was speaking before, you have to be sincere. And you can't look down on kids. You can't uh, uh, treat them like they're empty vessels that you are pouring information into. You have to assume that when they're watching you, they have certain. They come to the table with certain ideas and opinions, and it has to be a two-way street. That so all of those things that I've learned on Sesame Street, I I've taken those gifts that they gave me, and. Uh, uh, put them in Alma's way, of course. Can we go back to Sesame Street just for a minute? I'd love to hear a little bit more about your creating this role, just being yourself, uh, talking to a big bird and other f f creatures of our and your and their imagination. What's it like? What's it, what's, what's, what's that like? Oh, God, it was so hard in the beginning because uh, I kept looking at the puppeteer down at my feet and not at the puppet in his hand. <laughs> and uh, Frank Oz says to me, quit looking at that man down there as Grover. And, uh, and they're simple puppets. They're just like ping pong balls on a sock. And uh, But their artistry is so tremendous that the characters really come through their hands. And first... I must admit, I, I try to compete with them, ha-ha, uh, um, as a performer. And then I, I, I was always uh, uncomfortable working with them until I realized that I was a straight man and they were the comics. So I had to set up the jokes and they had to come in for the punchline. So then I got comfortable saying, I don't know, Big Bird, how many feathers do you think you have? In that slight, <laughs> slightly being exaggerated and, you know, kind of doing an Oliver Hardy from Laurel and Hardy take slow burn to the camera. And then I said, oh, I've got this part now. I understand my relationship. I am the normal, regular person and who just happens to be surrounded by these zany creatures. And uh, that you can play. Once I understood that, it was easy sailing. I know that Sesame Street uh, had brilliant writers. I'm wondering whether, in the course of filming, whether there spontaneity, there was spontaneity at points where lines and uh, actions happened that were not part of the script. Yes, there was. I mean, there, there was certainly a a, a, a a curriculum goals that had to be adhered to. But I think that uh, 
the beauty of the show was that everybody seemed to be on the same page. And uh, the Muppets would would just take off on on riffing and kid, you know, and 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 making jokes. And if you watch the documentary Street Gang, yes, I did. Just want to. Oh well, that show it really is a perfect because a lot of people talk about the Sesame Street, but this documentary really shows you what it was. And you see the you see Jim Henson, uh, you know, cracking up the other puppeteers and you see them uh, uh, making mistakes and, and, and still staying in character and you really get a sense of the back and forth that went on in, at that time. It, w- it was really exhilarating. We are going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Sonia Manzano, who will be at the Academy of Music for Selected Shorts this Saturday, one show only, at 7.30. We're so welcome you to Northampton. We're thrilled and honored to have you with us on the show today. And I hope you come back. We want to talk to you about your novel, new novel. Yes, thank you. Sonia Manzano, thank you so very, very, very much. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This week's Shop Tuesday is Galaxy. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Galaxy releases certificates for the restaurant in East Hampton. Dumplings, deviled eggs, and an ever-changing menu of creative plates, large and small. A stylish bar and lounge, a dining room with boots of white leatherette. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Galaxy in East Hampton, available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. I didn't think it was possible for me to be an alcoholic. I was 24 with a good career. I thought that alcoholism only happened to middle-aged men and celebrities. I thought something else was making me sick, shaky, and afraid to face people. Then I found AA and discovered it wasn't something else. It was alcohol. AA helped me find a new life. Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up. Online and in-person meetings. For more, call 413-532-2111 or visit Western Mass AA. For Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.